Welcome to the Prison Steve Podcast. Though I didn't do 20 or 30 years locked up, and I never spent time in the hole or had to make a shiv, after six years in the Texas penal system, I've still seen some stuff. I've lived through many a lockdowns, endured authoritarian regimes, seen riots, and learned how to navigate deeply entrenched racial issues. And as the world around us snowballs further into insanity, I can't help but think how like prison this all is. Yet it wasn't all doom and gloom. I made some incredible friendships along the way, learned things about myself I don't know if I ever would have uncovered, and I learned that Prison Mike was right. They do serve gruel, and there are dementors, though they aren't the worst part of it. Join me as I share stories from the inside and dive into how my time locked up has changed, altered, and shaped my views now that I am on the outside. Greetings, Earthlings, and anybody else that is listening to this that is not an Earthling. This is the Prison Steve Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Mathis, and this is episode four. It is actually a continuation of episode three, but episode three was a little bit long, and I felt for it to be more digestible. Why not just go ahead and break it up into two parts? So hopefully that works out. It's only been 12 hours since I released the last one, so... Not a lot's transpired since then, but I do want to say thank you to everybody that is listening in, that has participated in this comment, and that has shared. It is very humbling. Like Drax, I too am greatly humble. And um, yeah, it's been awesome. It's been been fun to do. So without further ado, let's go ahead and launch into this. In this segment of Check Yourself, the whole purpose of it is to give me a chance to make any kind of corrections in case I stepped out of line, probably said something controversial that I need to take back or walk back a little bit or explain, and also just if I would just make a flat-out mistake, which I did. In the office, when Kevin sees Robert California, he doesn't yell, danger, danger, danger. He yells, warning, warning, warning. And that's it. My brother brought that to light, and I felt it was necessary to let you guys know that I misquoted The Office, which is pretty much sacrilege. So, there you go. There's Check Yourself. I just got checked. One of the very first people that came up and um, and I got to meet, his name was Dan Cover. From the moment I met him, I knew that this guy was a different dude. But more than that, I was like, this guy is completely different from every other inmate I've ever seen. It was almost like the prison system had not touched him at all whatsoever. And he had been in, I think, already a few years. And so, and it was his third time down. So for him to just be radiating this this uh, this joy, this hope, this energy, this positivity, I was just kind of like, man that that's who I want to be. I want to be just like that. I want to be, I want to have that mindset. I do not want prison to touch me and affect me the way it had been already. So I was very interested in his story and how he came about. Now, I don't know if Dan will ever hear these podcasts and his story is his to tell if he ever comes on or he ever gives me permission, I'll share his story. But he had, he had had a pretty significant experience of his own that had kind of woken him up and woken his spirit up. And so he was excited. He was excited about life and everything like that. 
watching the way that he just engaged the people around them, he didn't talk to them like they were inmates, like they were trash. He saw them just as human beings. And it for me, I learned something just watching him interact with other people. And I realized that, I guess I just realized a fault in the way that I was viewing things as far as human beings go. Because by that time, I was already starting to lose hope in humanity. And I was definitely starting to lose hope in my fellow uh, inmates and not seeing any redemptive qualities in them. And yet this man, who's brand new in his faith, is completely the complete opposite. He's just kind of like, yeah, he acknowledged when trash things happen and all that type of stuff. But it never broke his view that God still saw something good in that person and something hopeful. You know, I saw him jump in the middle of two guys, two big guys that were about to get into a fight in the dorm because he actually cared about them and was like, you don't want to get in a fight, man. If you get in a fight, you're going to kick kick out of this dorm. This dorm is the best thing that ever happened to you. I know it's the best thing that ever happened to me, man. And later on, those two guys came up to him and were like, man, I want to say thank you that you prevented us from getting in that fight because you're right. This dorm is the best thing that ever happened to me doing this time. I don't know how that would have gone down. And so thank you. Thank you so much. So that was the first person that I had the privilege of doing Bible studies with, befriending. Probably one of the best friends that I ever made during my time and one of the best human beings I've ever met in my life. Now, we were doing these Bible studies, right? And I was kind of like leading them. And so we had a first wave of guys. And the thing about transit dorm is you're going to have a lot of people coming and going, right? Uh, some of those guys are only there for, you know, a few months. And then some of them, like me, are going to be there for two years and then some. So eventually Dan ended up going home and Medina ended up going home and others guys ended up going home. And so we got a second wave of guys that came in. And so it was a second wave that I started doing these studies with. One of those guys, his name was Adolf. Adolf, I know. <laughs> Adolf was not German. I don't know a single German. I can't imagine there is a German out there named Adolf, but uh, Adolf was actually Mexican. And Adolf was a former Buddhist who had recently, like within the last year, given his life to Jesus Christ and had become a Christian before he got locked up. And his was a very, very sad story. Most stories are just kind of like like mine. I deserved it. There's nothing sad about it. His was, he really was a good man who got caught up by the system. So my heart went out to him. He was engaged in these studies that we were doing and all that type of stuff. And what was fascinating was that instead of being repulsed by, like I would have before, by his former faith and how it was affecting or how it was changing the way that he saw, he brought a very unique perspective to our studies, to spirituality, to faith. He actually taught me how to meditate, and I was open to it because I was like, as a Buddhist, you do a lot of meditation. He's like, yes. And I was like, can you teach me how to meditate? And he said, yeah, of course. And so he took time to spend uh, teach me how to meditate. I'll show that in just a little bit. And it was awesome. It was, it was absolutely great, uh, just the interactions and the conversation we had. A little bit after that, though, we got a guy in there, and his name was Thomas. Thomas was an atheist, which is ironic because he was in a faith-based dorm. But he was an engaging guy. I really enjoyed him, and I enjoyed our conversations. And he was very, very intelligent. And in prison, you don't get to come across a lot of guys that are intelligent. You get to come across a lot of guys that are well-read, some that are well-spoken. But to say that it's common to come across 
guys that are just naturally intelligent. It's not, it doesn't happen as, it happens, but it doesn't happen nearly as often as you might think. Or maybe it does happen as often as you think. You're like, yeah, of course, prison doesn't have a lot of intelligent guys. But they do have a lot of well-read, well-informed people and self-taught people. So I naturally was curious about Thomas and his story. He came from a Christian home. So I listened to him, and I was I was curious as to how he got to his place and his faith, his beliefs and all that stuff. So we had a lot of lively discussions, and he loved to test my view and my understanding, uh, my belief of who God was, and challenge that. And in that process, Adolf became—we had like a trio, because me, Adolf, and Thomas would hang out and talk and discuss. So Adolf would just sit there and listen, and every now and then he would chime in with his some ideas and stuff like that. But truthfully, I won't lie to you, for the most part, uh, Thomas tore me up pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he was definitely on a uh, another level and was much more prepared for those types of discussions than I was. But I enjoyed the conversations. I enjoyed the discussions. The downfall of that, though, was it really messed with Adolf. So when Adolf's wife ended up leaving him, cheating on him, then leaving him, he just lost it. And he was like, how can I believe in a God that wouldn't protect my family, that would let me come to prison? And he couldn't move past. He went back to the place that gave him the most comfort, which is his former faith in Buddhism. The problem was he was a angry Buddhist now. So uh, I felt for him. I really did. Uh, but we, we, continue, we all continued to stay friends, and we all continued to have our discussions, and we all moved on. Now, it's Thomas the Atheist, Adolf the Angry Buddhist— and then there was yours truly, Prison Steve, the try-hard Christian. We were a merry band, we were. So one day, we were uh, in lockdown. Usually you go on transits, you go to lockdown twice a year. It was summertime. Uh, it's hot, but at night it's it's a little cooler, but it's still pretty hot. So one of the things they do is they bring these uh, ice containers in. You fill it up with water, and then everybody has access to cold water, but... He usually runs out pretty quickly, so you just enjoy it while you can. Just telling you that, just so you know. When you're doing a lockdown, after you have what what they do is they'll move building by building within each building or on that unit are four pods, and they'll go through each pod, and each pod will go out, or each dorm, I should say, each dorm will go out, and they will get searched. You take everything that you have that's in your possessions, your sheets, your towels, your clothes, your commissary, your books everything. You're going to go out there. You're going to go out in usually nothing but boxers and maybe a shirt and uh, your shower slides or kind of like Crocs, but shower slides. You march on over to wherever they're searching you and doing the, the shakedown and all that type of stuff because the whole thing is to find contraband material and whatnot and, and just keep you from accumulating too much stuff. So you go there, you're going to get strip searched and all that type of stuff, and then you're going to be brought over with your stuff and your stuff's going to be gone over with a fine tooth comb kind of and then you're going to head back to your dorm, and that's it. Your your role's done. Now you're waiting for everybody else to go through the process on the unit. It can take anywhere from seven days to about, uh, I've heard of it going a couple months. But usually it's seven to seven to 14 days is usually how long those things last. On a smaller unit like ours, it was seven days. So I don't know. We were maybe in our third or fourth day. The longer you're in the lockdown, the more relaxed everybody gets. When it starts off, it's... Be in your bunks. Don't move. Don't make a bunch of noise. They'll write you cases. You'll get in trouble real quickly if you break any of those rules. The further you go, it gets more relaxed. So after we had done our shakedown, and it was later in the week, 
you're able to move around a little bit more. So it was like, I don't know, nine, 10 o'clock, the lights had gone off, the guards are in chill mode, and they really don't care what you're doing, just to stay out of, stay out of sight, stay out of mind. So I got my cup of coffee, and because anytime you're going to go socialize and hang out with somebody, you got to bring coffee. And then I went over to where Thomas was because he was in the far corner. So I sat over there. We were hanging out. We were talking. And, of course, we went into our discussion. He launched into why God was not real. And he made the claims of, I would believe in God if he would just manifest himself. Just show himself in the sky, you know, and just, hey, buddy, I'm here, you know, just do something like that. And I'm like, that's not how it works, bud. And he's like, yeah, I know it's not doesn't work because he's not real. And I'm like, man, I was like, just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not real. And so we're having that back and forth thing. And he's like, oh, great God, I will believe in you if you will fill my cup with ice water. Why can't he just fill it up with ice water? He's God. He can do all these things. And I was just like, typical Christian response. That's not how he operates. And so what he does, you can't summon him on command. He's not a genie, yada, yada, yada. All the typical responses. At that time, Adolf, the angry Buddhist, walks up. He's like, what are you guys discussing? Thomas shares with him. And Adolf goes, of course he can't. He's not real. And I'm like, just a, just a month ago, you were believing in the exact same thing I was believing. He's like, well, now I'm wiser. And I was like, fine. How does your faith answer the dilemma? It, I forgot what I said, but I was just exasperated. And I was like, how does your God fill it up? And he goes, I'll tell you how my faith fills it up. And he snatches the cup from Thomas's hands and he walks over to the ice cooler and it was like an epiphany. It was a dawning moment because I didn't even think about, is there ice water in the cooler? But more importantly, when he walked over there and started filling that cup up with water, it was... Now, I, I am an admitted nerd, so I'm going to do it again, okay? I just watched the movie too. And the final Harry Potter movie, when he gets hit by Voldemort with a Vada Kedavra curse that's supposed to kill him, he wakes up in Platform 9 and 3 quarters train station. Everything's white and everything's hazy. Dumbledore's there, and he's having a conversation with him. It was like I had gotten knocked with the Avocadaver curse, woke up in Platform 9 and 3 quarters train station. Everything was white and hazy, and it wasn't Dumbledore. It was a. It was God, but it was a presence. It was Christ, but it was just a presence. It wasn't no physical manifestation. But it, I'm just saying it felt like that. It, it, it was like I was transported and I had an epiphanous moment. It was God specifically saying, do you understand what I've been trying to teach you? And I was like, yes. You use an angry Buddhist and an atheist to teach teach me this. He brought up a scripture, and it comes out of Proverbs. And it was a pro, it's, it's part of Proverbs that had always confused me and bored me. And it was about how wisdom is viewed as, a, as this uh, majestic woman that is crying out in the streets to be heard. And the one thing I remember about that in that moment was that wisdom was not saying it's a voice that only Christians can hear, or it is a voice that only spoken by Hebrews or that Hebrews can hear. There was no limitations on wisdom. It was simply a voice that was crying out to be heard for anybody that was willing to listen and hear. And then I started, I just hit me. Everything hit me at one time. I mean, it was a floodgate, and it actually sent me reeling for months because I literally had to go back into the scriptures and relook at everything because I was seeing everything in a completely different light. I'm telling you, it was an epiphanous moment. This was the epiphanous moment. Thomas was saying, this is my need. Was it a real need? No. But he was saying, this is my need. I put it off on God and was like, well, you know, if God wanted to, he could, but, you know, he probably that's just not how he rolls. 
But Adolf took a hands-on approach and said, you have a understandable, relatable issue, and I'll deal with it the way that I would deal with my own issues. He saw, he saw it as an actual human need, not as some type of miraculous, magical thing. He just saw it as, I can do it. This is something that I have two hands, I have two feet, I have a brain, there's water right over there, I can do this. And by doing that, he actually was an accurate representation of his faith. And again, all those scriptures that were Jesus, that talk about we are the hands and feet of God, that God wants to live through us, things that I had learned in my cultish Bible school, it all came flooding in. And I was, I was ashamed, I was shocked, and I was absolutely entranced by the idea that what God was telling me in that moment, you are my hands, you are my feet, you are my representation. People know who I am based on the way that you live your life, the way you treat them, the way you act, the way you live. And that was it. It was a game changer. From that point on, I stopped trying to be a Christian, and I simply just was a Christian. I stopped trying to be something a person of faith. I stopped trying to be a spiritual person. I simply just was. I didn't make excuses when something couldn't happen. I didn't blame anybody else anymore when something went down. I just was accepting the fact that I can't help everybody. I can't save everybody, but I can do whatever is possible and in my power and in my ability for the person that's right there in front of me. That's my role. That's my responsibility. And then the fact that that wisdom was given to me through two people of a completely different faith was the other side of that game changer. Now, when Adolf came back with a little smirk on his face and Thomas had a smirk on his face, I was still in a daze and Adolf sits down and goes, that's how my faith handles the problem. And he sits down and he's expecting me to just be like, I don't know, bluster and do the whole, I don't know. I don't know what he was expecting, but... He wasn't expecting me to start smiling, and then he wasn't expecting me to start laughing. He's like, what are you laughing about? I was like, I want to give you a hug. He's like, don't give me a hug. <laughs> Why are you happy? And I was like, because you just taught me more about my faith in two years in Bible school. I didn't teach you anything about your faith. Your, your faith is empty. It's, it's There is no God. And I was like, there is, and he just used you to talk to me. <laughs> and he was so mad about that. And Thomas was like, uh... Yeah, right. <laughs> but I think even Thomas was taken aback. But I was in such a awestruck mood that neither one of them could shake me out of that. Again, it it was uh, it was a game changer, and I still remember it like it just happened today. Let me pause right there so we can take a quick break, and we'll get right back to it. going to be introducing a new segment today and one that's going to be one that's going to be a common occurrence going forward. This is going to be called the Lingo with Ringo segment. I don't know who Ringo is. I just like the way it rhymed. So, Lingo with Ringo. What does it mean and what is the purpose of it? Well, every now and then I'll throw around terminology that has become routine for me and it's stuff that you get acclimated to in prison time and prison life and yet if you're in the free world, you're like, I don't really know what you're talking about. So, gives me an opportunity every now and then to uh, dive into the prison dictionary and just share with you some of the common terminologies that we use, common sayings that we use that may not be so common for free world people like you guys. 
Uh, here's the one for today. Commissary. There's another way of calling it, a cantina, but in prison it's called a commissary. So the way commissary works is it's basically a store. It's a it's a store for prisoners. It's TDCJ approved type of foods and hygiene and even clothing. You got shoes, you got some electronics that you can use. So it's like going to your local grocery store, your prison card, your ID is your credit card. The way that you get money on that card is that you're going to have people from the outside that are putting money in. Or if you've already had it arranged, which some of the guys did, they had money in their own account, they would write to their bank and say, hey, I want to transfer this money. They had that all prearranged. Like I said, some of these guys had really done their research or they've definitely done their time already before. So the commissary is a place where you head down there with your commissary bags or they'll give you a uh, red nylon bag. And you go down there, you wait in line, give them your card, and you make these lists. And you got to make them ahead of time. They're like Nazis about the list. So you got to put everything down exactly. You got to write cleanly. You got to put your. You got to put the right numbers. If they don't like your list, they literally will hand it back. And I've even seen them just reject you and say, "No, we're not taking this." And they won't even give you time to correct it. That was kind of rare because they do want your money. And whoever's running the commissary, which is a free world person, and he's got inmates working for him, but the, the free world person is getting some type of bonus or credit for the commissary that's being run. Anyway, you've got a list of different things that you can get while you're in commissary. You got different snacks, foods, you got some vitamins, you got health and hygiene, you got drinks, you and the big, you know, da 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 specialty is ice cream. And that's the way to kind of cap it off. What ice cream are you going to get? Like, that's the biggest question. But it, it's really all about the ice cream. What makes commissary so special is that you can only go usually once a week at the most. As a trustee, sometimes you were able to go twice a week, but that was kind of rare. But usually it was once a week. And on transits, it was twice a week if you were lucky. So there you go. That's commissary. And one day I will do a show on when I do the food coverage and I talk about the power of food in prison. I'm definitely going to talk about commissary. I'm going to have to explain that. But now you are familiar with it. Whenever I'm throwing around the word commissary, you're like, get Dina. Here's the last thing, and I'll use this to tie everything up. When I asked Adolf to teach me how to meditate, he did the breathing technique, you know, and it's in a loud dorm. But when you go through these breathing techniques and you really dive into it, the whole dorm can fade away because you're just focusing on your breath going in and out, in and out. What got to me was the part where he said, look at it as a color. And it started with, because your eyes are closed, but you're imagining your, your breath coming in and out of your body. And I started viewing color and it started with just a faint wisp and then it grew and it grew and then it became plums of smoke that were full of different colors of blue and green and yellow and it was beautiful. I was transfixed and I'll I'll still go through that practice when I'm doing my own personal meditation just to calm down and then clear my mind before I can just start focusing in on. That's a little bit difference between Christian meditation and Buddhist meditation, Buddhist meditation is about emptying yourself, and Christian meditation is about letting yourself be completely focused and filled. But to get there, to let go of all the physical worries and concerns and cares, I'll go through this thing that my former Christian Buddhist friend taught me. 
remember when I was telling you that I would go dorm to dorm or I would go place to place or anytime I went to a different area or I was talking to somebody different and you're reading the room, after I'd had that encounter with Adolf, I started to become aware that I was reading the room in colors. And it's not that I was seeing colors, it's that I was actually feeling colors. Is that weird? I don't know if that's weird or not, but it is just the honest truth. The closest thing I can get to explaining it is remember in The Matrix, and we're just going a load of movie reference here, guys. So remember in The Matrix in the first one, when he's not in The Matrix, he sees them looking at The Matrix, and it's just a bunch of code. Remember that green lettering and numbers all on a black screen going up and down? And they're reading it like we would read a book or watch a TV show. They just understood it that way. And to him, it's Greek. But then at the very end, when he gets shot and then comes back because he realizes that he's able to control the reality of the Matrix, he actually starts seeing everything in code. He starts seeing everything in the code that the Matrix was made up in. He saw past the passage into what was really moving behind it. That's how I feel I connected during my time in prison. I was living in a physical world, but I was seeing past the physical world I was always around. And it wasn't all the time, but when I wanted to really, when I really needed to, I could really lock in and I could see the energy, the aura, the vibe, the spirit that was radiating and that's pulsating underneath this physical world that we live in. Understanding that has helped me understand my faith, helped me understand people so much more and in so many different ways that there's no way for me to be able to just explain it in another 30-minute segment, but I can allude to it over and over again, and that's why I bring it up. And sometimes, every now and then, I won't see the code as much because I'm not in as much of a dependent state as I was I don't need to read the tea leaves everywhere I go like I did when I was in prison for my health and well-being or to navigate the system. Things here are much more navigatable without having to do that. Comfort actually is one of the deaths of spirituality, engaging in spirituality because you don't need it as much. And so you're not engaging that sense and that part of who you are. But every now and then I'll get to a place where I need to and it's like I'm reading colors again. I'm getting you're getting vibe and you're getting an energy. I understand that for some Christians that sounds very new agey and all that type of stuff. I understand that. I respect that. I used to be where you were at and I used to sit there and think that God couldn't talk to us in that type of way. But he did. He spoke to me and he doesn't just speak to me as I engage with people in the world around me. I feel that when I'm in the word. I feel that whenever I spend time in prayer. But I specifically, and I think this is because it's just the type of person I am, I specifically feel it when I'm in community, when I'm, in, when I'm around people. I've started to understand that why is it that one group or you are drawn towards certain people but not other people? The people that you're not drawn to, does that make them any less just because you're not drawn to them? If you believe in ideology, the answer is yes. But if you can start seeing things beyond the physical, into the non-physical part, into the spiritual, you'll start understanding that my spirit, my energy is drawn towards certain people and it's not drawn towards other people. It doesn't make one less than the other. It just means that there's a connection that I have that sometimes goes beyond my control. I did notice, though, that 
based on what was going on inside me, drew me to different types of people. So if I am a in a positive, good, hopeful place, I am drawn to people that are like that, or people that are looking for that are drawn towards me. If I am in a self-destructive, defeating, negative spot, then I draw that out of other people, or I'm drawn to other people that are like that. So what it's done is it's taking it personal if I'm not connecting with somebody, because maybe I'm just not meant to connect with somebody, or maybe I'm not connecting with a person for a certain reason, and that's a way of protecting me. I don't see rejection anymore as being something that is, I don't take it personal. I don't see it as being super negative anymore. I actually see it as God's way of protecting me, and that's how much the game is flipped. Now, that's all good in theory, but what about like actual, when did it actually apply? Like something that could actually identify what it is that I'm talking about and not talking out of my butt about this stuff. Because it wasn't like Alice in Wonderland colors that I'm talking about. And it was nothing you ever saw. You just sensed it. And because my friend Adolf had explained part of you that you were trying to, that you were focusing in on was your your spirit, your non-physical part of your being, that's just how I interpret it. That's how I understood it. And that's the best way that I can describe it. But I can give you a few examples as to when I was working in the laundromat. And um, so I was a trustee at the time. I was a new trustee and I was working and I'll explain trustee later. That'll be in one of my uh, Lingo with Marinko things. I was working in the laundromat and in the laundromat, I, I was on the dryers um, portion of it. So you have washers, you have dryers, you have hangers and, and iron pressers. And then you have the guys that fold everything up or they bunch everything up and then they throw them into the trucks, which is the way more physical job. Well, when I was working at the dryers, I would look over to where the group that was doing the bagging and everything like that. And it was always this, man, I just had this always unsettling feeling about that group. And so I stayed away from them. I was like, those guys are, they're trouble. They would be trouble for me, basically, right? And so I just stayed away. I didn't question it. I didn't think about it. I really didn't engage that much. One of the guys was in my dorm with me. His name was Twin. And me and him were close, or at least we were friendly with each other. And Twin was a black guy. And so, but for the most part, I didn't really engage with anybody else. I just kind of noticed that there was something that I just wanted to stay away from over there. Now, every one of those guys was black. So if I looked at that situation and said, oh, I feel that way because they're all black, it must be because black people are bad or black people are violent or black people are always up to some trash thing. Now I'm trying to put a physical identifier on something that I just got a gut feeling about, which has nothing to do with the race, and it has nothing even to do with the workstation. It was just a vibe I was getting, so I stayed away. Well, in every group, there's always going to be a alpha male, or there's going to be someone that's going to have the attention of all the other guys. And one of these guys, and I, for the life of me, can't remember his name, because he was just kind of in passing in my life. Uh, 
he ended up leaving. I forget what it was. Maybe he got parole or maybe he got moved to another unit. I forget what it was, but he left. And I remember the day he left, I didn't get that same vibe at all from that group at all anymore. They were just, they were doing what they were doing before. They were lazy. They just sat around. And the whole thing was, you're a guard. I'm an inmate. Like if I'm an inmate and I show up to work, a guard cannot make me work fast. All I got to do is just sit there and put the most minimal amount of effort forward because I already did my job. I showed up. So what they would do is they would their way of resisting would be like, we're going to do as least work as possible. They were going to move as slow as possible. We're going to make your life as hard as possible. And so that's what they did. They just kind of moved. They just kind of dragged everything out. But when that guy left, there wasn't that dark energy coming from that place. Oh, I didn't have that dark. I didn't have any type of resistance there. And so I remember I, I went up to my boss because honestly, if you did the work hard, you got out of work quicker and it was just a, a much better gig compared to what I was doing. So I went up to the boss that was over that and I said, hey, what's his name left? Can I put in for it? He said, yeah, we're, we're down a guy. You can put in for it. And a few days later, they switched me over. Well, when I got there, I work at a different pace, which is that I want to get the work done. So I just went at it. The funny thing is that the other person that joined me and basically busting ass and get everything out was Twin. In fact, Twin's actually, I couldn't keep up with Twin. I was like, why weren't you working like this before? He was just like, I don't know, man. It was just like, they always gave me a hard time about it. But if you want to do it and, and I want to do it, then screw it. He goes, it's a good workout. I was like, it is a good workout. Yeah. He's all, yeah, that's how I look at it. I look at it as a good workout. All of a sudden, I had this kinship. I don't know. It's just something about Twin. I was like, dude, you're, you're an all right guy, man. And and I always had a respect for him, but it went to another level. He actually taught me what hard work was. I thought I was working hard. Twin took it to a whole nother level. And then he went to a whole nother level because he took responsibility for the whole group. And he kind of became the leader of the group at that point. But just changing the dynamic of one person having an influence over one group over another person having an influence over another group dictated if it was okay for me personally to go into that next station. I always wanted to go to that station because it was a better job, but I knew that if I went there, it wasn't going to be in my best interest. But if I tried to actually put a nice physical identifier on that, that's when I would have gotten in trouble. And that's what I'm talking about. I could walk into a room and everything seemed perfectly normal. I remember this one time this boss had knocked out one of the inmates. I didn't know that. I wasn't at work. I didn't know what was going on. I, I had stayed in for something. But when I walked into the dorm, I, I sensed the energy change instantly. You can see all across the this uh, at that trusty camp at East Ham. It's this big, long, like warehouse type of building. And you can and, and the bunks are all single level. And partitions are all half level. So you can see all the way to the back left corner, all the way to the back right corner, everywhere. I walk in, nothing is physically different, but I sense something is off. So I walk in, I see nothing, I s but I feel this tension, this tightness, this excitement. And I immediately ask, what's going on? And the guy next to me that I asked was like, yeah, man, what the heck is it? And he sensed it too. And that's just it. It's just that, and you guys know what, I think you know what I'm talking about because you've walked into a place and 
without seeing one physical thing, you feel that difference. You feel that change, that internal temperature. And it could be good, and it could be really positive, or it could be dark, it could be heavy, but it's a change from the normal. And you've had it where maybe you've had a coworker where you didn't really vibe with or you felt something off about that person. So you just pulled back a little bit, right, and just kind of kept to yourself. And if you try to say, this is why I'm doing it, that's probably where you're going to run into problems. Instead, you just listen to your spirit that's in you. And this is how God wants to talk to us. God wants to talk to us in our spirit because everybody is in a very fluid situation. The Bible is beautiful because it gives us a black and white backdrop that we can actually rely on and go to, and it gives us a base that we can work from. But the fluidity to apply to different people in different situations throughout history comes from the Spirit. Because the Bible doesn't talk specifically about abortion, it doesn't specifically talk about Black Lives Matters, it doesn't specifically talk about our election system and if we should be Democrat or Republican or vote this way or vote that way. It doesn't specifically talk about a lot of world, real world events that we're facing right now. But that doesn't mean our faith is archaic and doesn't apply. What it means is that in the backdrop of what the Word of God gives us, we need the Spirit of God to speak to us individually and personally so that we know how we need to operate. And the other in the other side of this, if we do this, we can now look at approaching life without focusing in on taking things so personal. If somebody doesn't see something the way I see it, they're the enemy. Or if they do not do something that I want them to do, they're the enemy. Or they have a belief system dis- different than mine, they're the enemy. And we need to stop looking at people as being an enemy. They may not be somebody that we're drawn to, that we're connecting with, but I don't need to demonize them just because I'm not connecting with them. And that's that whole thing with that group and that one guy that was over them was, I didn't demonize them. I just was like, that's not my scene. And that was as simple as I translated to myself. And then when he left, I felt like there was an opening. There's a different type of temperature. And that's the thing is I didn't try to second-guess myself when I was in that place or second-guess my instinct and the spirit that God was using to guide me because it had already gotten me through so many tense, questionable places already. So I hope that just kind of clarifies it and just a few examples of how it applies and how I've used it. But we're running. I ran way past time and need to start to wrap this up. And there we go. We are all finished. We're wrapping it up on this series on faith and spirituality. I hope that you guys were not too bored, that found it engaging. I'm hoping that you didn't find it too preachy because it's really just my story. It's my story of my own personal growth and my own personal development. You can take from it what you will. And if you ask my opinion, I'll definitely give you my opinion on certain aspects and subjects of life, especially about spirituality and faith. But as far as how I understood faith and spirituality going into it and how it has shaped and changed me going forward... That is my own journey, and that is my own story. We each have our own, and I definitely have learned to respect that and to honor that and to be interested in it. So if you want to share something about yours and what you've learned from your own personal experiences, 
Maybe you've gone through something that has shaped and changed you. I'd love to hear about it. You can reach me through Facebook, email. If you have any comments about the audio and if you think it's an improvement, if you think that I lost something in it, maybe something I can do to improve, do not hesitate to reach out. But until then, it's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me in this journey. And I just want to wish you guys the best of days and the best of a week. Peace. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this podcast on whatever platform you're choosing. You can find the Prison Steve Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher now, as well as the Red Circle Podcast. If you want to throw your support for the show, the three best ways are to subscribe, leave a review, especially if it's five-star, and to share with anyone you think would be interested. Those three things will help me build some organic traction, which is really the best kind. Any comments or tips that you have for me, feel free to share them via the email or the Facebook link that I will be leaving in the description. For all of your support and listening to the show, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I look forward to the next one. Please remember, stay sane, be positive, 